Welcome to another episode of On Air with the Chair. This is episode 16, our talk with Endeavor CEO, Jim Grant. Today is June 27th, 2022. I'm Captain Nicholas James, your MEC chairman. And again, joining me today on the show is going to be our CEO, Jim Grant. We're going to cover a variety of topics, mostly focused around the summer operational challenges, our fleet outlook, especially on the 200 side, hiring and attrition. And then, of course, we're going to talk about uh, the American Airlines deal and solutions that may need to be driven to endeavor to remain competitive. Typically, at the end of each podcast, we do answer a question from the front line, but we want to devote all of our time today to hearing from our CEO, Jim Graham. So we're actually going to forego that section. But remember, if you do have a topic or question or suggestion for the show, please email edvonair at alpha.org. That's edvonair at alpha.org. All right, well, let's just jump in uh, and welcome Jim Graham, our CEO, to the show. Jim, welcome to On Air with the Chair. Nick, it's good to be with you here today. Well, thank you so much for coming in and thank you for joining us on the podcast. I know that there's a lot of uh, challenges and there's a lot of anxiety out there amongst uh, the pilots and maybe even the employee group as to the future of Endeavor. Um, and it's great that you're on the show so that we can uh, kind of answer some of those questions. Jim, let's first start off with the very same question that I asked you probably about two weeks ago. And I think this was the weekend that the American Airlines deal was announced. I said, you know, before we get ahead of ourselves and we start talking about, you know, what can be done or is it seniority longevity? Is it money? Is it solutions? We first have to ask ourselves a baseline question. That is, what is Delta's plan for the DCI network? And specifically, where does Endeavor fit into that plan? Because until we understand that, we're not going to be able to formulate solutions that helps effectuate Delta towards that goal. So what is the overall outlook for DCI and specifically for Endeavor, Jim? Nick, it's a great question and one that really I think most of our pilots probably intuitively know, but the Delta connection and specifically Endeavor is crucial to Delta's success. And when we look at the regional portion of Delta's network, right now Delta connection is flying 42% of Delta's daily departures. Now, granted, that's not you know a, a giant number of seats when you're talking about 50, 70, or 76 seats, but the departures make up the volume and, the, and a lot of opportunity to, uh, to bring in ways to get our aircraft up to over 80, 90% of load factor for Delta Mainline. Now, as Endeavor's part of that is actually almost 43% of the full Delta Connection uh, network. So it, it's crucial to have Endeavor uh, working with Delta and contributing to the network as well as Delta Connection uh, in total. But when Delta looks at the value that Endeavor brings, it used to be just filling in the network. Now it's actually, uh, Endeavor is, is a key part of, of making sure that the operation runs smoothly, more on time, uh, higher completion factor. I mean, Endeavor really has been setting the bar for the past year and a half for Delta Mainline and continues to come forward and show the value that they bring to the entire Delta team. Well, it sounds like there's still a very strong commitment to the network as a whole and to Endeavor. And, you know, Jim, this is something that I've said at the table before. Endeavor really has redefined what it means to be a good regional airline partner. Um, I think before it was usually who could do the, the operation the cheapest, right? It was really just all about costs. And then Richard Anderson came in and his concept of there needed to be a seamless transition between the mainline product and the regional product. And we needed to bring the entire network up to one standard. 
so that the customer didn't really differentiate between the regional and the mainline products. And, and really, Endeavor has led the charge in that way in, in many, many areas. In fact, I would say that since probably right around 2014, um, we really have been not only leading the DCI network, but really leading the fee-for-departure network. Um, and I think it doesn't really come as a coincidence that that was also when we got an industry-leading contract. And there'll be more on that to come here in just a little bit. But it does sound like overall that there is still a very strong commitment to operating the DCI network and operating Endeavor within its current footprint or possibly even more in the future. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. If there's an opportunity to expand Endeavor, Delta wants us to do that. There's no no question about it. You're you're exactly right. I mean, Endeavor does set the bar. The bar's gotten much tougher to be able to maintain. And, uh, you know, it's probably not lost on any of our people that are listening to this that prior to um, uh, really about four years ago, uh, there was kind of a philosophy of there's not a, a regional airline that Delta didn't like. And uh, I think at one point there were nine different regional airlines that were underneath the Delta Connection umbrella. That's been trimmed down to three. Uh, and so a lot of the um, uh, the airlines that really did not operate as efficiently as Delta wanted have gone by the wayside and were left with the three top. And Endeavor has been uh, consistently at the top of that list. I will say that even to the point that uh, when Delta needed to reenter the New York market, Endeavor was chosen as the airline to go in and really reestablish New York because they knew that we could run the operation the way that Delta wanted to see it. So it certainly is safe to say that Delta would like to see us do more flying. The question is, how do we be able to manufacture that in today's environment? Well, that's a very good point, Jim. And speaking of that more flying, let's shift gears right into that summertime operation, which I know has been challenging right from the start. And you guys warned us about this at the MEC meeting. Um, Russ Elander, yourself, Philip Underwood, you guys said, it is going to be a challenging summer. It's going to be a tough summer. Why are we facing some of these challenges right now as far as operational pressures? Because, you know, Endeavor's tagline for a long time was we cancel cancellations. We never cancel for lack of crews. And yet now we seem to be canceling for lack of crews on, well, what we would consider to be a consistent basis since we really hadn't previously done that. Why are we facing some of these challenges right now? And most importantly, how can we overcome those? It's another good question, Nick. And I'll quit saying that's a good question because you have a lot of good questions. But um, it, it's really not one single thing that has put us into a challenging operation for the summer. It's a group of them. And I, you know, we should probably start off with the first, which is the increased volume and the rebound of really the entire aviation industry and specifically airlines that are carrying not just leisure customers anymore, but corporate customers now too. Are the business travelers starting to come back? New York is re-energized. And Delta knew absolutely that they need to go back in and reestablish New York as the stronghold and, and putting that money into the hub in LaGuardia, the hub into JFK. Uh, they needed to protect that, and they asked us to step in and do it. We knew that was going to be a challenge. Uh, during the, the middle part of the pandemic, we were down to 25 to maybe 40 uh, flights a day out of LaGuardia as a maximum. We'll be at 209 flights uh, per day between LaGuardia and JFK as we get into July. So the, the pace has picked up dramatically. And at the same time, we're being asked to fly more time. Now, we base our staffing, uh, base our, our block hours that we can fly off of the staffing that we have. So we don't overcommit to that. But the problem is, is that when you get into an irregular operation and things start to go bad, if you can't be proactive and really set up a, a short-term recovery, you might miss, you know, on, on, let's say you have some proactive cancels that you have to do. You might miss that by, you know, a, a few flights here or there 
as to what you can Monday morning quarterback and say would have then been the perfect call, but it allows you to get back up on step much more quickly. What we found in the first several weeks of uh, summertime flying going back into New York is that the cancellations were coming in late for us, and that put us behind the eight ball, trying to get our crews rested, trying to get them back into position. And, uh, and then you couple that with really what I would consider to be a, um, a, a reduced level of uh, capability by air traffic control. And I'm not just talking about upper air or, or the terminal uh, controllers. Um, it, it also is those that are at the airport moving our aircraft around and even airport personnel. So um, we have seen a, um, a learning experience through that group that has not quite reached where they were pre-pandemic. And, uh, and a lot of the things that used to be just uh, commonplace for us or almost a, a throwaway in terms of, oh, we'll be able to operate through this particular weather line that's moving through the area at the time turns into more of a, a significant IROP that sets us back for hours on end. So it's been a challenge, but I can say uh, without hesitation that we are working very closely with air traffic control. We're working very closely with Delta and their OCC. And we're also increasing the number of reserves that we have and backing off on the number of block hours that we can fly to add some extra pad um, into our operation. Now, that'll most likely uh, fully take effect as we get into August, unfortunately, but we'll take every opportunity we can to build in a little bit of extra buffer as we get into, uh, into July. I think it's that classic tug of war. Do you do a larger footprint, um, but possibly not do it well, or do you do a smaller footprint, but you do it really, really well? Endeavor seems to have always been on kind of the latter side. Take the smaller footprint, do it really, really well, and then be the shock absorber for the SkyWest or Republic that may not be able to operate. You know, you and I have talked about that before. You know, every flight that we're able to pick up, it's a check mark and, and a win for Endeavor and maybe not so much for Republic and SkyWest, but still a win overall for the, the network as a whole. So that's a, a really good thing. Jim, is it fair to say that when we talk about air traffic control or we talk about pilots, we talk about mechanics, we talk about the ground personnel? the light switch on the pandemic got thrown back on faster than a lot of management teams anticipated. I remember talking with um, some of the management personnel at that point in time during the pandemic, and they were talking about a three to five year recovery. And I think some of the decisions that we saw come from the management teams, whether it was the early out programs or the voluntary leaves, I think that kind of harkened back to we, we have a longer term viewpoint on how long it's going to take to start the mechanism again, or when the mechanism needs to be started. And all of a sudden, the industry comes back because the consumer comes back because, you know, needles are going into arms. People are getting vaccinated. People are feeling more comfortable to travel. Obviously, they still have, you know, money from, you know, some of the uh, CARES Act and payroll support funding. So is it fair to say that maybe we were caught a little bit out of position in terms of when this whole mechanism was going to restart and now we're trying to play catch up? Well, at Endeavor, I would not say so, Nick. I mean, I feel very strongly that uh, we didn't furlough any pilots for a particular reason, and that was because we said, look, it's going to take a long time to get started back up again. Now, we did probably overestimate how um, long it would take us to get the training department back up to full speed. And, uh, and that did take us a little bit longer than I would have liked. But we've been uh, actually working very hard to increase hiring at, at a rate that Endeavor has never seen before. So, Nick, prior to the pandemic, really Endeavor's maximum amount uh, pilots that they could put through new hire training was only about 40 a month. We have worked very hard to improve the opportunity within the training department, including consolidation of simulators, uh, increasing the uh, number of flight training instructors and so forth, that by November we'll be able to put 80 new hires through 
And then we'll also be able to have a, a, quite a few upgrades that will take us up over 100 total pilots that we'll be putting through training at any given time that would be moving to new positions. And we've been very fortunate in that we've attracted outstanding pilots to come to Endeavor. And a lot of that is because obviously we have a, a great path to get to Delta. But I also think it's because of the culture that our pilots have built here at Endeavor. They want to come and fly with our pilots. And, uh, and I can't thank our pilots enough for building that type of a culture, especially in an operation like we're having to run this summer. So uh, we're, we're working hard to make sure that we stay out in front of this. Um, and, and I would say that the, um, uh, the opportunities that are in front of us right now are really gauged off of what does the economic uh, recovery or lack thereof look like in 12 to 18 months. All right. So, well, all that's really good information, Jim. Um, but now I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about sp some specific statistics when it comes to operational pressures. You know, we talked about, you know, we're being asked to fly the maximum amount that we can. And obviously, we are trying to do it as well as we can, but the system seems to be stretching, if not breaking. So let me share some statistics with you. I had our PBS committee run some numbers on junior mans, extensions, and BYDs. And we've only had about a dozen events in the last four months as far as extensions and junior mans. So those are actually very reasonable numbers given the operational pressures that we're under. But the BYDs are a different uh, story. The BYDs are the beyond company control, right? And so let me share some statistics with you that our pilots are facing out of the line right now. In March, we had 58 BYD events for the pilots compared to six for the flight attendants. So 58 days off that were awarded to the pilots, they no longer have. Now, some of those, in fairness, can be recovered because if you're already at minimum days off, you will get a comp day for that. But these events are usually happening very close in. So pilots typically are like people. They've got plans on those days. And you know, it does present some challenges. But the first time I saw that 58 number in March, I thought, but it is spring break month, right? March sometimes can be a higher block hour, or higher, higher flying month in the summer months because of all of the leisure travel. But what we've seen is that number has continuously climbed. And I think that this is where the operational pressures are really reaching their breaking point for the pilots. So 58 BYD events in March for the pilots, six for the flight attendants. In April, we had 84 BYDs, zero for the flight attendants, May, we had 129 BYDs, none for the flight attendants. And then I actually just pulled the statistics through yesterday afternoon, 212 BYDs in June, and we're not even done with the month. So that's 483 days uh, off that were awarded that had been lost from the pilots. I think that between those and the reschedules and the reassignments, that's where really a lot of the consternation from the pilot group is coming into play. And it sounds like we may not see a reduction until August, but it does sound like we are going to see some type of relief, at least at that point, because network planning is going to take some flying out of this. Is that correct? It really is, Nick. And that's certainly not a trend that we're proud of or that we like to see. We want to be true to our pilots and make sure that they get the time off that they expect and that they deserve. So, you know, I, I would say that the increases, while I, I don't have the statistics or the, the graphs in front of me to be able to see if they dial directly into where we've seen these increase in, in irregular operations. We do know that, that that tremendous push to go into New York did happen over that same exact time frame. And New York has really been the bane of our existence. Even though we do it better than anybody else in the business, it still doesn't take away the, uh, the, the sting when something starts to go wrong. So um, what I will make a, a pledge to you is that we're going to keep working on this and working on it hard to try to get back to the norms that we've seen before or even do better than that. Yeah, because that really comes down to retention. I mean, we talk about 
you know, how do we keep pilots here? How do we keep employees here? And there's no one silver bullet that does it. it it's probably going to be a solution that comes in in many shapes and forms. And I wanted to highlight those to you because I definitely think that this is a trend that we need to work together to try to reduce. You know, I think working together is key. And if there's an opportunity that we see some um, some avenues that that might not be really evident to both the network team or the crew schedulers, you know, some of our best input uh, absolutely comes from pilots that are experiencing real time. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And I want to thank you, Jim. Um, you know, anytime that the company does something outside the JCBA, I think it definitely needs to be recognized. You know, you guys have put together a commuter hotel program for New York City pairings. That is appreciated. It is appreciated that we're putting together some hospitality suites and trying to find some small areas of relief where we can. Um, I definitely think we still need to be working on that, though, because, again, when you lose almost 500 days off inside of four months, um, and that really only tells the part of the story. The other part of the story is even with positive space commuting, when you have an event like this that happens so close in, you obviously lose the flight that you've booked in advance, and you really don't have the ability with 95% load factors to get a positive space flight the next day. It really makes things challenging. So I definitely think we should um, keep focusing on that. Um, let me ask you a couple other questions, too. Um, I've asked the team, uh, your team before, what about possibly offering 300% um, to try to alleviate some of this? You know, it's one thing for a pilot to get BYD'd and, you know, get forced into 150% um, on a scheduled day off. They may not be enticed to pick up something else later in the month at either 150 or 2 but maybe 300 does. And maybe that keeps some of these BYD events down. Maybe it, it allows us to be able to operate a larger operational footprint, so to speak. Um, it seemed like there wasn't an interest in 300% at that time. Should we revisit that at this point? I, I think we should revisit everything. You know, it, it certainly is not something we want to take off the table if there's an option out there that that's going to be more palatable. And um, uh, and and believe me, you know, as as certainly coming in to offer hotel rooms on the front and back side of a rotation was not inexpensive either. Uh, we we actually even want to come in and and uh, we're trying to get the program kicked off. That if you're delayed on the taxiway, we would actually send you an ACARS message and say what kind of uh, food or meal or whatever can we have waiting for you once you pull into the gate? Because we know that, that people are going to be uh, not only hungry, but also probably running for their next airplane. So how can we try to pull some of that anxiety back? And if there's an opportunity that makes sense for us, like the 300%, then we'll certainly take a good close look at that. So I had not heard any discussion about that in the okay. past couple of weeks. So I'll take that back. All right. I appreciate that. And I guess my last question, as far as the challenging summer schedules, What's going to happen with the OPR payments? Because obviously they're not contractual, um, but it is something that I think pilots and employees look forward to. And it seems like um, inadvertently we were almost set up for failure by network planning. So is, is there going to be any type of adjustments or any talk of adjusting uh, performance metrics or the OPR payments for this quarter? We actually just started discussions about what we would use as a measurement. Obviously, we have OPR that's you know stated in our uh, in our flight plan and that we have set up as goals uh, that we've sent to Delta and certainly we use internally. So we have to go back in and take a good hard look at that. While we need to assess the OPRs appropriately, we also don't want to be just saying, hey, here's money that, uh, that didn't really go to some sort of a goal that we achieved or some sort of opportunity that we were able to access that, that we provided that other airlines could not provide for, for Delta or for whoever their parent was. Okay. Well, I'll be interested to see what those, um, you know, what the result of that conversation looks like. But I just kind of wanted to put that on your radar. Let's shift gears now to the fleet outlook. We've already heard, Jim, that you said that Delta would like us to operate as many aircraft as we possibly can. 
I think pre-COVID, we were either operating or on pace to operate, and I'm going to include the operational spares in here, somewhere between 180 and 185 single and dual class aircraft. Um, in talking with Jay Furnish, it looks like for July, we are operating 110 dual class lines of flying and 28 single class. Now, those might be lines of flying without the operational spares. So you start out adding in operational spares, you've got a, a fleet of probably somewhere between 135 and 140. Um, where do we want to be and what do we think we can accomplish in the next six to 12 months? Yeah, and I think we actually are at about 145 total with the operational spares. Um, but over the next several months, obviously, if we had an opportunity to put more aircraft in the air, we're limited strictly by our pilot staffing at this point. And it's not really pilot staffing as much as it is captain upgrades. So we're limited by the number of captains that we can put into the left seat and then be able to fly the aircraft. And while I do think that we are getting back up and on pace, we do have a, a good number of direct entry captains coming in and high time first officers that are moving over to check out. Uh, I don't see that we'll be able to grow that number in the coming months, and that would be really through the end of the year, unless we have a dynamic change in the marketplace. If we have a dynamic change in the regional industry, uh, if something else happens that the uh, airline industry levels out and, uh, and the hiring starts to cool off, I do think that that would offer us an opportunity. That could also be a, um, uh, a hindrance as well, because if things are cooling off, then something else is happening on the ticket price, right? <laughs> so, uh, so we have to balance that out. But uh, I, I do think that we are seeing the maximum number of aircraft right now that we'll be able to fly through the end of the year. And the goal is to sustain that going forward or have the tail off be as uh, diminished as it can be. So if, if, we're, uh, if we are forced to shrink, we want to be able to look at all of our competitors and say that we are shrinking at a slower rate than they are, because that gives us the best opportunity to rebound with a, a more rapid pace also. Sure. So kind of teeing off what you had said earlier, even if we have to shrink, the goal there is still to continue to operate more aircraft at a time frame that makes sense or that we can operate based upon our hiring and staffing, correct? Correct. Yeah. And, you know, the block hours that we're flying right now, normally at the end of the summer, you'd hit August 15th going to September 1st. And we would see about a 10% pullback because everyone goes back to school. Uh, the vacations are over and done with for the most part and that sort of thing. Not this summer. We're, we're going to continue on because we're actually at 10% below where we actually want to be or where Delta wants us to be. So we will continue with the same number of block hours and as really as much as we can staff, they will absolutely take. Okay. Well, where does that leave You know, the, the CRJ200? Again, because that's going to be one of the focal points of the pilot group, especially for the CRJ 200 drivers. We know last time gas was $5 a gallon. You know, there was a lot of talk about just winding down the CRJ 200. We heard during our bankruptcy in 2012 and 13, the economics of the 200 in that market did not work. And we have a very similar market now. We're also down to, like we said, 28 lines of flying on the single class. And we could even see that, you know, degrade even more. I also know that you've been into some, I think, FTI and LCP development classes talking about we might see some degradation on that 200 throughout the rest of the year, depending upon our staffing. And it may even get into the teens before we're able to start resurging it again. Um, we've always been told, Jim, that if a fleet gets to about less than 20, it really doesn't make sense because you start to lose any type of economies of scale. So are we in danger of having to park the 200 if we actually dip below 20? Or are we going to stay committed to that product uh, until we can find the pilots to staff them? This probably goes back to what's the expectation of the 200 being parked 
for good, Nick. And, um, uh, and, and while Wait, you, um, you don't have a crystal ball, I, I always, I always make the joke that when we park the last 900, we're going to send a 200 crew out to pick them up and bring them back. So, <laughs> but I really think that the philosophy remains the same. I don't think, I know that it remains the same with Delta network. And that is that if we do have to pull our block hours down, we would sacrifice the 200 to keep the sevens and the nines flying because they have the dual class product and that's what our customers expect. So going back to your initial discussion about how do we get this exact same product that Delta has, they called that program same except tube, the set program. And I think we've done a tremendous job uh, doing that with one exception, and that is we can't put first class into the Dash 200s. You're right in that it does have the, the worst economics of the, of the airplanes that we fly, but it doesn't mean that that's something we want to walk out the door. Right now, trying to maintain market share and trying to hold on to those uh, locations that only the 200 can serve is very valuable to Delta. So, Nick, what I will say about that is that the Dash 200, if it were imminent that it was going to be parked in the next several months, we would go ahead and let that continue to uh, diminish until we parked the aircraft. But um, other fleets that had faced the same type of drawdown, we knew that those were going to be parked. And when you get down to 10 or fewer, you certainly drive an inefficiency within that operation. For us, we have a couple of options out there. We know that we have enough simulators, convertible simulators, that we could go ahead and repopulate that airplane if we were to see the staffing and be able to do that. The other option would be to come in and do a dual qual, um, working with you guys to try to understand what that would look like that would give us that um, uh, flexibility to fly either airplane into a market. And that does have some value to Delta as well. So I don't want to count the 200 out, but what I absolutely believe is that if we do have to sacrifice a fleet, it is definitely going to be the 200. So let's go back to LOA 125, which is the flow agreement. So in LOA 125, because it satisfied, you know, the 1B47F exception two of the, the Delta PWA, that unlocked the ability for Delta to operate 35 76-seat aircraft. Last I knew, those aircraft were still not operating in the DCI network. Are they, are they still parked? Or are they on the sidelines? Or are they in operation right now? Some are, par some are parked and some are back in the operation. Some are back in the operation. Yeah. Not, so, not to full strength. So there's still, I think, an opportunity to possibly take some of those hauls if we were to see a drawdown on the single-class product here and replace them with the dual-class product, which you said is preferred by Delta and especially preferred by its customer. So I guess, you know, one could reasonably surmise that even if we were to draw down the 200, it wouldn't be like we would lose all 28 lines of flying or all 35 aircraft. There would be at least a contingent of that that could be repopulated, like you said, by the existing 35 aircraft. So, so Nick, as, as we think about the answers that we've given up to this point, we've only looked at it in the Endeavor microcosm. If you broaden that out to Republic and to SkyWest, they're experiencing the same kind of issues that we're having and a little bit more magnified, uh, not as severe as some of the other regionals in the industry, but I would put them right underneath us as far as their attrition rates and slowly coming down. So they're experiencing a little bit higher rate than what Endeavor is. So as those airlines take a look at rationalizing their fleets and can they maintain the contract they have with Delta, then that does offer opportunities for Endeavor to step in and grab those dual class airplanes and bring them over here. And those contracts will come due over the next couple of years. And if they're not performing up to the standards that are in the contracts now, Delta could do something at an earlier date. So far, nothing has been triggered at this point, And we quite honestly don't have the bandwidth to be able to staff those up. But if we found ourselves in that situation, we would go aggressively after those aircraft and bring them to Endeavor. 
Well, all of that's going to lead into the hiring and attrition. But when we talk about bringing the aircraft to Endeavor, we're talking about the Embraer product, something that we've heard you know numerous times before. And I think it harkens back to what comes first, Jim, the chicken or the egg. We always talk about this Embraer product you know, coming to Endeavor, but it's got to come off of one of the other certificates before it does. And you know, any type of growth is obviously welcome by our pilots, but this is also the time when you know, because I've talked to you about this before, let's talk about the fleet guarantee, right? We have 109 dual class under our fleet guarantee that's set to run through 2031. Does it attract pilots, you know, as not as a single benefit or a single bullet, but as a multifaceted solution, does enhancing our fleet guarantee and committing those types of aircraft to Endeavor, does that help us then bring in pilots in advance of that product coming to uh, Endeavor, and therefore we won't have the staffing issues that we're currently experiencing on our fleet. Would it make sense to bring those under our fleet guarantee at some point in time? I actually am an advocate of bringing them under our fleet guarantee and um, have approached Delta about the opportunity to go ahead and originate a certificate for the ERJ, even though we wouldn't actively fly it. You get that certificate, you you hold it uh, and activate it when you need to, and, uh, and that gives you some tremendous insurance as you go forward if you have the opportunity to, to staff up. And, uh, and I think that the, the name of the game for us is to keep our eye on the horizon and not get, get mired down into looking at our own feet, right? I mean, as, as you're going across the bar, when you're going out salmon fishing in the Pacific Northwest, you always look to the horizon because if you look at the waves that are hitting up against the boat, you're definitely going to get sick. So um, we want to keep our eyes on that horizon. And I think that, that there is an opportunity with an ERJ certificate that could be very, very strong for Endeavor's future. So I'm going to continue to work with Delta to make that an opportunity that we can get on the Endeavor property. Um, I hope that they agree with my thought process. I do too. And I, I hope that we can find a way to, to bridge that into our bridge agreement and increase our fleet guarantee because then those aircraft are committed here. And I think putting that inside you know, the contract inside the JCBA, that signals um, a lot of stability to the pilots that are not just here, but the pilots that will be coming here. So hopefully we can make that uh, happen, Jim. However, none of this is going to happen if we can't hire, attract, and retain pilots. So let's talk about the hiring and attrition. I want to share some numbers with you, Jim, um, because we've talked, you and I personally and our teams, a lot about stabilization and growth. That has been kind of the central thesis of this year. We need to stabilize the airline so that we can grow the airline. Um, Unfortunately, though, I don't think the numbers are in our favor right now. So let me share some numbers with you. At the start of the year, um, we had an ISL that was put out on January 4th, and we had 1,996 pilots on that ISL, so just shy of 2,000. May 3rd, uh, 2203 was released, and we had 2,013 pilots. So not by any stretch of the imagination, overwhelming growth, but we are growing. Um, I did ask for the most updated seniority list prior to this podcast, which I, I received one on June 21st, and we've actually shrunk back down to 2004. And remember, that does not take into consideration all of the attrition for June because they won't actually come off the ISL until their separation date. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what has our hiring and attrition numbers looked like since uh, the start of the year? So in January, we were able to hire 60 pilots. We attrited 57, so we had a small amount of growth there. Hired 54 in February, attrited 55. Hired 49 in March, attrited 52. Hired 52 in February, and our attrition went down to 44. But that was, remember, because of the um, retention agreement. Pilots were trying to delay to get that second check. Now, here's where the company hit it out of the park. 71 in May. That's a big number, Jim. That's a very nice number for you guys. Attrited 57, and so that's where a lot of the growth has come in. 
Now, our pilots have not heard this number yet, but our attrition for July has now hit 75. So any type of incremental growth that we were able to achieve over the first five months of the year has been wiped out because of that attrition. So, you know, I guess it begs the question, and this is what's on the pilot's mind, is retention working and is it enough based upon those numbers? So uh, based upon the numbers, Nick, I think you would come to the decision that it probably was not working, but I don't look at it purely from those numbers. I actually look at it from a competitive standpoint, and we've talked about uh, how fast are you shrinking as a result of what you're doing versus what your competitors are doing out there. And um, over the past three months, with our retention program in place, we have seen a reduction in our pilot group drop at a slower pace than the other airlines out there by two to three percentage points, sometimes five or six percentage points. So in that, in, if you look at it in that light, it's been very successful. I don't put all my eggs in either basket. What I think is that we have to be able to make sure that we're offering our pilots the best deal out there in terms of value and opportunity. So what, what we want to do is come back in and take a look at this. And I would love to give you an answer right now as to what that incentive looks like or what's the me too with American. Um, we are still in the, in the middle of doing the assessment on that. And I want to come to the best answer that we can for Endeavor and the issues that we're, we're facing right now as an Endeavor team. Sure. And I just, you know, we'll get to the American Airlines deal next, but, you know, with those high levels of attrition, you know, what pilots look at is, okay, so there's going to be less opportunities possibly on, let's say the CRJ 200, because we may have to draw some of those down. That's less captain seats that are available, you know, to bid on, which is going to be, you know, recognized, but not only by pilots here, but pilots coming in the street. And we're still going to be asked to deliver as many block hours as we can. And so there's a lot of operational pressures there. And it just lends pilots to think, you know, do I really want to hang my hat here for the long term? Can I survive this for the long term? Again, that harkens back to almost 500 days off that have been lost. And I know that that is not the normal trend for Endeavor. And now that we've highlighted it, we'll find some solutions to hopefully mitigate those threats. But that is on the attrition front. Now, on the hiring front, I would say Endeavor's actually been doing very well. You know, we have um, a competitive product uh, traditionally. However, these numbers that we see in January, February, March, April, and May, those are absent the American Airlines deal, right? The American Airlines deal was just announced, so your hiring was not affected by that. Are you concerned that with the Endeavor contract now being firmly in fourth place as far as pay and benefits, do you, are you concerned about the outlook of hiring in the future for Endeavor? Uh, with or without the American deal out there, I'm always concerned about Endeavor hiring. So we, we have to make sure that we're competitive all the time and not just when someone steps up and tries to leapfrog where we are. So we're definitely going to take a look at the difference between the two and make sure that we're offering uh, what we hope to be the best value proposition out there. Um, I, I do agree with you that we our hiring is, is strong, but we can't sit back and rest on our laurels on that. We have to continue to try to, to market to the pilots to come here. I would venture to say, and, and don't hold me to this, but I believe it's true, that we're down to the point now that as soon as you hit your thousand hours, you are going to have an opportunity to move to the left seat and train within two to three months of that time frame. So I do think that we're going to have all the captain slots available that people can, that our first officers can move into immediately. And actually that would help us out tremendously. Right now, I think we've got about 115 first officers that have not checked out and, um, and I would love for them to check out immediately. That would, that would help us grow the airline right now. 
Well, thank you, Jim. Um, so since you touched on the American Airlines announcement as far as the hiring and attrition, let's just move into, like I said, the 10,000 pound orange elephant in the room. And that is what Piedmont PSA and Envoy are doing. Um, and let me first start by saying, and I've, I've said this to you before, I like to compete and most importantly, I like to win and you like to win as well. And Endeavor has been doing a lot of winning for Delta again since 2014. My belief is our ability to win for Delta, the customer, the brand, the profitability of the enterprise is directly correlated to our ability to compete in this pilot labor market. And when we look at the Endeavor contract, we've offered the best pay, we've offered the best work rules in totality, we've offered top tier commutability. The only piece that was missing was career progression, and we eventually got that done. And it really solidified the Endeavor contract as being, again, the premier in the industry. But now it's been leapfrogged. It has been leapfrogged not just by one, but three competitors. And so we're firmly in fourth place at this point in time when we talk about the benefits that are being afforded um, to the regional airline pilot. And it would seem like in order for us to continue to compete and win, we are going to have to derive a solution. Now, a couple different options here. I mean, obviously, there's the pay aspect of it. There's also seniority and longevity, which we can talk about, or there could be kind of a, a smorgasbord of different benefits. Maybe we do some pay, maybe we do some seniority, maybe it's some longevity, maybe it's some work rule improvements. But I do think that we're going to have to make some type of move in order to stay competitive. And so I guess, is there any information that you can share with the pilots at this point in time, based upon your conversations with Delta or your Endeavor leadership team as to where the appetite is and what the timeline is going to be for any type of possible solution. You know, Nick, you, you raised several good points, and I have had almost daily discussions with um, the Delta leadership over the past week and a half over uh, the move by American and really where Endeavor sits in the regional industry and what should be our focus going forward. We agreed to step in and, and do the analysis and, and un better understand what was American trying to solve at the time. Uh, some of the things that you just mentioned um, are, are, quite frankly, beyond our, our control and would require uh, Delta to come up with a deal uh, that is approved by the Delta pilots through the uh, negotiating process. And I tend to think that while that may be a good answer at some point. I don't think that that is a quick answer, unfortunately. doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to pursue it. And in fact, I've asked Delta to take several of those points that you mentioned and talk about them with Delta Alpha. So I hope to get some uh, word back on that within the next two weeks, and that will help us craft our answer as we go forward. But, uh, but we haven't taken any of those points off the table yet. They're all in play. And I wish I had a more solid answer as to so it, uh, here, here's where we're going. One, mm -hmm. two, three, four. But it's it's just not quite that easy at this point. So it sounds like you're looking for a quick answer, right? Well, I, I think that we need an answer that will um, take the anxiety off of our pilots' backs in terms of looking outside of Endeavor to go someplace else to try to get to ultimately their destination. And that might be to a different legacy carrier than Delta. That might be to a FedEx or a UPS. There are a number of different things out there that, that pilots want as their ultimate goal, and plenty of them want to stay at Endeavor, and I think that's fantastic. So we have to be able to answer the call for all of those and try to rank order them such that we're answering the majority first and then work our way through that entire list. 
Well, from the association's perspective, Jim, and I, I think you probably, even if you think that there's challenges in getting this, I think you would agree that a seniority longevity advanced accrual system is probably the most effective solution. That That is the separator, really. Anybody can do a career progression. A lot of people can throw money at it. But the separator is going to be that seniority longevity system. It would be something unique that would be not offered anywhere else in the industry and, again, would separate Endeavor and Delta from the pack and, and help us lead again. Even if we think that there's challenges to that, I'm always up for a challenge. Um, I know you are as well. I think maybe it might be helpful, and I could be wrong. Maybe you know the landscape better than I do, but uh, I have many conversations with Jason Ambrosi on his side. He's saying that he is willing to sit down and discuss you know, possible solutions with Delta. I know that you have spoken with John Lauder um, about the possibility of doing a seniority longevity-based system, and is that a solution that's feasible and could work? Would a small group meeting between the four of us lead to any type of results? I, I think that, first of all, I need to um, get word back from John and from Jason that they've had initial conversations. And then when we get the results of that, then it could be beneficial for the four of us to sit down. I think it would be. I think um, our pilots would would welcome that. And if we can identify the challenges that are currently existing, um, whether they're here locally at Endeavor or they're up at the Delta and the Delta MEC platform, because we know there's a Section 6 negotiation going on, maybe it's not the right solution at this time for reasons, like you said, that are beyond our control. But at least if we eliminate that as a possibility, then we can go on to the solutions that we can achieve and po- and will likely need to achieve in order to stay competitive. But um, I'll give Jason a call and I'll see if he has spoken with John recently, because I, I think there, there, there could potentially be a lot of value in beginning that dialogue between the four of us. Um, I think it's certainly going to be more effective than me calling Jason, Jason calling Lauder, Lauder calling you, and we're just all chasing our tails. Let's go ahead and put everyone in the same room. Um, as far as other solutions beyond monetary or seniority based. Has there been any discussions, Jim, with you and your team on what else you may be looking at? It, it's not lost on us that quality of life is a big piece. And, um, uh, and we're actually going down that path right now uh, without having to step in and, uh, and talk about negotiations of any kind. How do we build better rotations? How do we make them more uh, productive in the right ways for our pilots? What are new ways that we can think about the PBS uh, system and how we can organize rotations to be able to give pilots better uh, answers to to um, uh, to their requests, their preferences. So we started down that path already, but there are certainly many more that we need to to really uh, not just organize, but but sort through, prioritize, and make sure that we're answering the right questions for our pilots. Yeah, and I think I can speak for the pilots when I say, you know, as far as quality of life, obviously. They want their work days to be their work days, and they want to try not to have to work on their off days. We talked about the BYDs earlier. Um, I've spoken with pilots that you know get a little frustrated because before they even start their pairing, and just FYI for all the new pair, uh, new pilots out there, rotations are what they use at Delta. Pairings are what we use here at Endeavor. Just so that we're we're talking apples to apples, um, you know they they're on their sixth pairing change before they even start their trip. Um, that can be challenging. I mean, you gear yourself up for a certain expectation um, on a certain day or a certain trip. And when that changes time and time again, it kind of wears on you a little bit. Um, So I know those are some of the changes that, you know, our pilots are looking for. And I don't know that just a PBS change will accomplish that. Um, It may have to be a little bit broader than that, but I'm certainly, you know, willing to sit down and talk with you about that. Um, The other thing that, uh, well, I guess the other question is, do you have any type of specific timeline on when you're looking to have a solution at Endeavor, or is it still kind of being discussed and up in the air at this point? 
Well, I don't know that I would say it's up in the air. We know that there is um, a, a timeliness aspect to this, and the sooner that we can get to an answer, the better off we'll be. So we are not going to let this languish. I, I don't have an exact time frame for you, but I can tell you that this is not something that I'm going to let slide. All right. Thanks, Jim. Um, the last question that I really had for you kind of regarding this um, is about the metering that is going on with our off-the-street pilots. Now, obviously, the off-the-street uh, program is not a contractual program. It is controlled completely by Delta. Not even the Delta MEC has any say in that. But I'm sure you've heard from probably more than one metered pilot about their desire to try to move to the platform as quickly as they can. And I know you guys can't see us, but Jim's, Jim's smiling right now, as, as am I, because we, we both have heard from the metered pilots. Um, what opportunities do we have to try to get them to the platform faster so they're not losing seniority? This really comes down to being able to fly the schedule that we promised Delta that we'll fly. And if we're able to reduce that lateral attrition going to, to other places, and it's any other place but Delta, then we can transfer that into uh, increased rates going to Delta. And that would include off the street increases as well. So um, you know, Delta has, has been very upfront and I've, I've asked them, I said, what, what can we do to increase these rates? Um, and they said, as long as you can continue to fly the block hours, send as many as you can send. But um, we're, we're struggling right now to, uh, to ensure that we can fly those block hours. And any goodness that we get from lateral attrition pullback, we can translate into upward movement to Delta. Unfortunately, right now, though, I don't think we're getting any love on the lateral attrition pullback. So I think that's why I think we're, we're championing for a solution. I think you're going to need to see that um, before we're going to see that pullback. And then I think what can happen is once you have that pullback, because pilots will reside here, then you can increase not just the OTS, but you can increase the flow numbers. And then, as you know, increasing the flow numbers gives you a faster pathway to Delta. A faster pathway to Delta is more attractive both for pilots that are staying here and pilots that will be coming here in the future. So I think we're on the same page on that one, but I still think we're going to need some solution to make that happen. Yeah, we're in violent agreement on that one, Nick. And, you know, we've got to be able to do that. So, Nick, I, I think the one thing that we have not tried and for appropriate reasons is if we increase the flow with the continued lateral attrition to try to get everyone's head turned and say, this is a shorter path for me to get to Delta, therefore I'm going to stick around. But we've done damage to the airline in that we can't fly as much. Now we truly have reduced the number of captain slots that are available, the number of flight hours that our first officers can fly in order to get to that magic thousand hours to move to the left seat. So we haven't availed ourselves of that yet. Um, it's not something we've taken off the table because we don't see a clear path to being successful that way. Uh, but it is something that we will continue to assess as we go forward. So, Jim, right now, if we don't have an ability to create the most expeditious pathway, we have to create the most lucrative pathway. And I think that goes back to your value proposition. And whether the most lucrative is going to be a pay system, whether it's going to be a seniority and longevity-based system, or if it's going to be a combination of those benefits, I think that's definitely what's going to be needed. Um, and it may have to come in incremental steps. Like you said, we may be able to do something on our own here at the Endeavor level, quality of life, pay, something along those lines. And then we may have to wait for that separator, like I've said, which is that seniority and longevity-based system. Um, I guess my final question on that topic, though, is, is there any concern in how that solution could affect Republican SkyWest? Because when you take a look at what Piedmont, PSA, and Envoy are doing, I think it's pretty clear that they're going to be bringing all of their flying in-house. So is that a concern of any type of solution here at Endeavor is how it could affect the other two partners? 
Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I mean, we are we're looking at the entire industry because obviously as a wholly owned subsidiary, we're in a a pretty good position as far as deep pockets go. PSA, Piedmont, and Envoy are in the same situation. SkyWest and Republic are certainly vulnerable, but you look at the other airlines that are partners with United and they haven't seen any uh, any additional help either out there. So uh, I, I think we're in a pretty good place. As far as Republic and SkyWest go, Delta is watching out for them with the overall Delta umbrella. So uh, there will be some different considerations for both of those airlines as well. Obviously, we're trying to make sure that we take care of Endeavor first and uh, and ensure the the best answer for Endeavor overall. But those airlines are certainly not only under scrutiny, but also uh, at the top of the list to to make sure that they survive. All right, Jim. Well, that really kind of brings us to the end of the topics that I had for you today. But I do know that there was uh, some thank yous that you wanted to um, say on the air. So the mic is yours, sir. Well, thanks, Nick. And the first thank you I have is for you. Thank you for inviting me over today to uh, talk about these items and and certainly getting a chance to air this with our pilot group is first and foremost in in my mind as, as a way that we need to continue to communicate. So thank you for that. I also want to thank all of our pilots out there for for the tough operation that we've been in. And, you know, I, I look at at the statistics every day. I look at the diverts that we have. I look at the situations that we're flying into. And the first thing that pops in my mind is outstanding decision making. You guys make great decisions every single day out there, thousands of times in your rotation, probably without even knowing it. And you keep us safe 100% of the time. So I just want to thank you for all the decisions that you're making, the leadership that you're providing to not only our flight attendants and the gate agents above and below wing, our customers, but, but to each other. In that cockpit, it's really important that we keep the lines of communication open and we respect each other. And I haven't seen that any stronger at any other airline than it has been at it ever. And I, I know it's going to go through the same way as we continue on with this summer. So thank you guys for your dedication. Thank you for hanging in there with us. We're going to continue to work to try to improve the operation and make you proud of the operation you're flying in. Yeah. And from, uh, from my aspect, uh, thank you for joining us, Jim. Um, it's been a long time coming. I've been wanting to get you on here for uh, quite some time and, and thank you for making that happen. And uh, pilots, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to bring your, um, your concerns to Jim and the team, and they're going to work on those. Uh, we're going to try to find solutions um, both at the bargaining table and beyond to provide some relief in uh, the operation and the quality of life and hopefully some answers to the American Airlines deal. As you know, Jim, we're ready to start engaging at any point in time. My next uh, call is going to be to uh, Jason. I'm sure you're going to be calling John and we might be able to get a four-way meeting going and that would be wonderful. Uh, thank you everybody for listening uh, to the episode. Um, as always, uh, fly safe and be safe out there, and we'll see you on the line. Send everything to 531, runway 28, quit the land.